I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 Timothy. Paul's letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy, chapter 2, we'll begin at verse 1. 1 Timothy, chapter 2, we'll begin at verse 1, where Paul writes, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings, and for all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and humankind, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. For this, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for this privilege now of studying it together. And God, as I stand before these, your people, this is your church. So I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. It's the weekend of the fourth. It's an opportunity for us to be able to pause and to celebrate, to share in the independence of our country, to think about how blessed we really are. It's not that our country doesn't have its issues. We know we have issues. All you have to do is turn on the news. We have issues. But we're able to join together and celebrate the freedoms that we have, freedoms like to join together today to worship and praise our God wherever you may be. So we send off the fireworks. We have barbecues or cookouts, depending on where you're from. We celebrate vacations. Some of you may be joining us now and worship wherever you may be on vacation, enjoying time with your family. One of the questions, though, that often comes up is, well, how do we celebrate the freedom of our, of our country? How do we celebrate our nation? How do we celebrate our country in the life of the church? Can it be God and country? How do we do that? How do we do it well? Uh, I was raised in a small little country church and where I grew up, God and country went hand in hand and the country tried to bow itself and the people there felt that as a nation, we should be under the love and grace of God and calling on God to forgive us and to lead us to help us be the people that God is calling us to be. There are all kinds of debates in churches. Many of you have heard them. Every pastor just about has gone through them. Can you have the American flag in the sanctuary? Do you? Yes. Do you not? No. Well, according to flag protocols, the American flag has the position of honor. But according to flag protocols, also the Christian flag has the place of honor. So if you have both, which one goes to the right of the speaker? If you have them on the same pole, which one is the top? Am I an American first or a Christian first? We get caught up in all these things. And then in the protocol of the church, the liturgy of the church, 
the theology of worship, the altar table is always the position of honor because this is the house of God. The altar table reminds us of the presence of God. So now we have three things pushing for the position of honor. How do we do it? People will debate it. So as a tendency, we have a tendency just to set it aside. Well, maybe we don't even talk about the country when we're in the church. And it can be a problem if nationalism becomes our religion. Well, then that becomes idolatry. If the nation is what we worship, that is problematic. Or if our political leaders are seen as our gods, or we just worship these different political leaders or beings. Well, that's what happened in biblical times with some of the pagan leaders that would lead, they would request to be known or require really to be known as God, well, that yes, that's problematic. I could also argue that there are spiritual leaders in the church that often think that we're gods as well. We have to be careful of idolatry, whatever it looks like. But shouldn't we as Christians pray for our country? I mean, isn't the country really us to start with. So when we pray for the country, are we not praying for us to be the people that God is calling us to be? Shouldn't we pray for the leaders of our world and the leaders of our country? And how do we do that well? In our sanctuary, for example, we actually have five different country flags. The reason we do that is they're the countries with whom we've partnered in ministry. Of course, the United States but then we have Bulgaria, Romania, Costa Rica, and Kenya. We have partnerships with all of them. We pray for our brothers and sisters all around the world. But we're reminded of these ministries and missions, these brothers and sisters in Christ around the world with whom we serve in the name of and on behalf of Jesus Christ. So how do we do it? Well, Paul's writing to Timothy here. Timothy, as you know, is Paul's apprentice, and he loves him so dearly. And we see that Paul tries to mentor him, coach him. He's left him behind in Ephesus, and he's coaching him on how to deal with the teaching of false teachers, how to deal with structuring the church, how to have the church leaders trained, how do you choose who the leaders of the church should be. But then Paul says this interesting thing, in chapter 2, verse 1, that we just read together when he says, first of all, first of all, the very first thing, the main thing, before you do anything else, I want you to pray. The first thing that I want you to do is to pray. And it's so important, if you notice, that he actually uses four different terms that are just simple little nuances in prayer, but four different terms because this is not just, hey, first of all, say a prayer. It's deeper than that. He, he says, offer supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving, according to the New Revised Standard Version. The New International Version says, petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. In other words, spend some real time in prayer. First of all, I want you to really pray, and not just half-heartedly. 
I want you to really pray and offer these petitions, these needs that you have, what's really happening in your life. John Wesley said that supplication is the imploring of help in our time of need. The imploring, God, help us in our time of need. And with prayers, what are the things that's happening in our lives, the things that would help us with intercessions for one another and thanksgiving? The word there is the Eucharista. And the Eucharist is known as the thanksgiving. And we often include that when we come to the table. We call this the Eucharist, where we're giving thanks to God for the offering of His Son, our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Origen, the early church scholar, theologian, who lived around 185 to 253, somewhere in that time period, early, early in the life of the church, he developed four types of prayer based on this scripture, talking about how we pray our earnest requests for personal needs, those supplications or petitions, humble entreaties to whatever might be beneficial for us to be who God's calling us to be, which he called the prayers, Petitions for each other, intercessions, intercessory prayer, and thanksgivings, the Eucharist. And Paul says when you do that, pray for everyone. When you pray, pray for everyone. Of course, we have a tendency when we pray to have ourselves in the center of what's going on, and we, we kind of reach out in concentric circles where we pray for our families, for our friends, for our neighbors, for our communities, for our country, for our world. Paul says, pray for everyone. Tom Oden, who's a great biblical scholar, said that prayers are lifted up for all because the son's sacrifice was offered for all. We raise prayers for everyone because Jesus gave his body and his blood for everyone. When you pray, pray for everyone. And then he turns it another notch and says, and for kings and for all those who are in high places. I mean, that's an interesting thing. Because actually in biblical times, some of the rulers, and you have to remember the Roman authorities were ruling Israel during the time, and actually the Roman Empire, during the time of Jesus' life and Paul's life. To pray for kings and rulers often meant, but not your king and your ruler because you're being occupied under the control of someone else. To literally pray for another king who's conquering our own land and for those rulers. And some of those were so heinous and arrogant that they actually demanded that you not pray for them, but to them. When you read the book of Revelation, for example, you'll find the emperor Domitian, who was about as arrogant and narcissistic as anyone you could ever find. And he commanded the people to refer to him as our Lord and God. One of the reasons the church was being persecuted in Revelation is because the people of God said, we only have one Lord and one God. We will not worship you. And that created a crisis to pray for them. See, they were living in a culture. Paul's writing in a culture when you prayed 
to the kings and rulers who consider themselves to be God. Paul's saying, not pray to them, pray for them. Do you see the distinction? I'm not praying to them, they're not God, but I'm praying for them. I'm praying for them on behalf of God. And what do you do when a ruler is unjust like Domitian? What do you do when a ruler is like Putin who's invading Ukraine right now? And when we see the heinous things that are happening? Well, John Calvin, another biblical scholar and theologian said that we pray even when the ruler is unjust. He said, even when the ruler is unjust, the church prays to make bad people good. Did you catch that? We pray even for the evil rulers, for those who are leading in a way that is not glorifying to God. We pray for them because the church prays to make bad people, bad leaders, bad rulers good. Not just the rulers of our own nation, but we're called to pray for the leaders of our world because we are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. I mean, the kingdom of God transcends, for example, our country, but our country is very much part of the kingdom of God. So we pray for our nation, but also for the nations of the world. Came across a beautiful prayer. It's of the Church of Pakistan a prayer of the Church of Pakistan. And listen to this prayer, because I think it's absolutely beautiful that we can use for our nation or any nation. But the prayer goes like this. Look graciously, O Lord, upon this land. Where it is in pride, subdue it. Where it is in need, supply it. Where it is in error, rectify it. Where it is in default, Restore it. And where it holds to that which is just and compassionate, support it. Amen. So we pray. Paul says, first of all, first thing I want you to do is to pray. Pray for everyone, but then pray for the leaders of your world. Pray for the leaders of your country. Pray for your country, for your nation. Why? He said, so that we may live a quiet and peaceable life. A quiet life. The Greek implies tranquility or quiet on the insides. That what's going on inside of us that, that we may be tranquil and quiet and at peace. But then he says, and a peaceable life, which implies holiness, which is a serenity or an outward kind of peace. That we can live in peace, godliness, holiness, being the people that God is calling us to be, and with dignity. What's honorable? What can be held with respect? What actually glorifies God. And Paul says the reason we do this is because God so loved the world. We pray for everyone and for the rulers and the kings across our world and for our country as well because God so loved the world. 
And, and therefore, we pray for everyone. In the Wesley Study Bible, the notes say that a congregation expresses its theological beliefs in worship. Since God desires to save all, verses 4 through 6, the congregation should pray for everyone. Prayer cultivates a congregation's peaceable relations with everyone. Well, think about that. Prayer cultivates a congregation's peaceful relations with everyone. I've often tried to think about the ratio that I have between my complaining about things and when I pray about things. My ratio of when I complain about the leaders of our country and when I pray for the leaders of our country. The ratio between complaining about the leaders of our churches and praying for the leaders of the churches. What is my complaint to prayer ratio? Because when I pray for someone, it helps restore the relationship and brings about a peaceable lifestyle. Prayer cultivates a congregation's peaceful relations with everyone. It's hard to hate or despise someone that you are praying for. So I invite you, think about that sometime. What is your ratio between complaining about, posting about, forwarding about versus praying for? It's convicting for me. Maybe it'll be helpful for you. Eugene Peterson, as I've shared with you before, paraphrases the scripture. And again, a paraphrase is not a translation, taking it from the Greek and the Hebrew to here's what it means in English, but a paraphrase is a retelling. And then the message, he paraphrases, I think, the scripture beautifully when he puts it this way. The first thing I want you to do is pray. Pray every way you know how. For everyone you know, pray especially for rulers and their governments to rule well so that we can be quietly about our business of living simply in humble contemplation. This is the way our Savior God wants us to live. He wants not only us, but everyone saved. You know, everyone to get to know the truth that we've learned. That there's one God and only one and one priest mediator between God and us, Jesus, who offered himself in exchange for everyone held captive by sin to set them all free. Eventually, the news is going to get out. This and only this has been my appointed work, getting this news to those who have never heard of God and explaining how it works by simple faith and plain truth. It's the 4th of July. It's a great time for us to celebrate and give thanks to God for the freedoms that we have. But it's also a great time for us to pause and hear these words of Paul to his apprentice, Paul to his church, Paul to us. First thing I want you to do is pray. So this week, I hope you'll take some time to earnestly pray. He uses four different words to make sure we realize, and I'm not talking about just some quick prayer before the hamburgers and hot dogs, but genuine prayer for everyone, for God so loved the world. And that includes the United States of America. That includes our nation, us. Pray for everyone and pray for 
for the leaders of our world. It's hard to pray for Putin sometimes, but that's what we're called to do and others that we desire God to speak to, to touch, to convict. And for our leaders, for our leaders, whether they're our party or not, we pray for our leaders because they can impact the rest of the world. They can impact the rest of our country and they can impact all of us. So we pray that God will lead and inspire them. And if they're not faithful, as Calvin said, we pray that God will make the bad good. When God was speaking to Solomon at the building of the temple, God was sharing with him, I'll, I'll make this a place of prayer. I'll be right here with you. I'll hear your prayers. I'll respond. And then he says this beautiful thing in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, when he said, And if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and listen to this, and heal their land. No wonder, Paul said, so the first thing I want you to do is pray so that God will hear and heal our land. So let us pray together. Almighty God, we are so grateful for your love and your grace. And we are grateful that you so love the whole world. And that includes us. It includes our country. It includes this nation. And God, we know that the kingdom transcends us. But we are grateful that you allow us to be part of it. So we come praying for our world, for everyone in our world, for those who are struggling and hurting that need to fill your presence. God, please, we pray, let them fill your presence today. Your loving arms wrapped around them. We pray for our world. We pray for the leaders of our world. We pray for peace in our world. So God, guide them, inspire them, convict them. And guide them all to lead us to be faithful to you. And to show how much we love one another as you so love each one. And God, we pray for the leaders of our own country. The leaders of our community. The leaders of our churches. Protect and inspire, we pray. And God, as we come to this table... We come here giving thanks to you that we are included in your love and your grace. That when you so loved the world, that included each one of us by name. So God, we come praying now that you would look into our hearts, forgive us, cleanse us, help us individually to be the people you're calling us to be. Help us together as the church to be the church you're calling us to be.
And our nation is the people. So God, we pray that you would bless us and help us together to be the country that you call us to be. Loving you, loving one another, in the name of and on behalf of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.